A few uh, other comments. Uh, first of all, I want to give my affirmation to uh, what took place here this morning as far as the, the blessing for the uh, babies. I think it's important that we recognize that many people in the world do not value babies. They do not value children. And uh, many people see them as a nuisance. They avoid it, prolong it. And I just read this week that the um, average age for first-time parents just continues to increase and grow higher as people put off the uh, aspect of um, having children. But we as a church welcome children. We bless them. And there are certain significant events that we recognize here in church. Uh, weddings are very important events. Funerals are very important events. And I think the birth of children are as well. Jesus took children up in his arms and blessed them because he valued children. So I think it was our privilege here this morning to bless them as well. Secondly, I uh, took a little bit of liberty this morning to visit a couple of the youngest Sunday school classes and give a couple questions to the children. And I'd like to give their answers in honor of the mothers here this morning. So uh, this is just some recognition to the mothers uh, from the minds of some of the youngest children here in our church. And a couple here I got from some other sources as well, but uh, most of these are, are from the children here. So to the mothers, first question, what do you like best about your mom? She makes food for me. She helps me do school. She buys me toys. She works hard. She does most of the work. She lets me hold my little brother. She makes yummy, healthy cookies. Another question, what is your favorite thing to do with your mom? Take care of my little brother with her, going on walks with her, golfing with her, going out to eat, painting, and having a hot chocolate party. Another question, why did God make mothers? To do the work. <laughs> to make food. To care for you. To love God. thought that was interesting. To teach God's word. Because she is the only one who can find the scotch tape. <laughs> and so that there are children. And the last question, what does mother do in her spare time? She sews, she paints, she looks at Facebook, she prays, she holds the baby, she rests, she helps me paint or color, and she doesn't have any spare time. So happy Mother's Day. Title of the sermon this morning, Ambassadors for Christ. And I greet you as an ambassador for Christ this morning, but I also greet each of you as ambassadors for Christ, fellow ambassadors, fellow representatives of our King. So in that sense, we're all here together this morning discussing uh, what we do, our responsibilities, our roles as ambassadors. Now, to those of you, I know there's not very many anymore, but there's a few of you who are dairymen. When you meet together with other dairymen, what do you talk about? Well, often your conversation ends up 
something about cows. If you're a mother and you meet with other mothers, your conversation often turns to motherhood and children. And probably many of you have observed that when a hunter meets another hunter, they end up talking about hunting. So my question this morning is, when ambassador meets another ambassador, what do they talk about? Or what should they talk about? Well, that's what we want to do this morning. What does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? Now, I know that a number of you here have lived for an extended time in another country. And I'm just curious, how many of you have, while you were living in another country, had contact with the U.S. Embassy while you were there? Okay, quite, quite a few of you. And uh, I don't know what your experiences were like. I know there's some of you that ended up going to the embassy a lot more often than you wished you would have needed to as things uh, drug out. Uh, when we lived in Romania, we had um, numerous contacts with the embassy there. And I find some of the comparisons to be quite interesting. And I'm going to uh, just build on some of those comparisons for the content of the message this morning. So... The experience is when an American citizen lives in another country and has contact with the embassy there. But I do want to clarify that the message this morning is not geared to people who are missionaries in other countries. The message is geared to all of you because as believers, we are all today living in a country that is foreign to where our citizenship is. So we are already living in another country, in a foreign country, right here. Our citizenship and our eternal home is in heaven. We are sojourning here, and God has given us the responsibility to be his ambassador while we are here. What does that mean? First of all, what is an ambassador? Who is an ambassador? What's the definition of an ambassador? An ambassador is the highest ranking, so it's an honor, is the highest ranking representative of the United States, in our case, other, other countries have them as well, the highest ranking representative of the United States to a foreign nation. He is appointed by the president. It's not an elected position, it's an appointed position. Ambassadors have the responsibility to protect and promote the policies of their home country, in the country where they are appointed. Building goodwill with the people of that country is an important part of his role. So I have 10 comparisons, 10 things that I've noticed, and there's, there's more. I just started making a list. I ended up with a lot more than that, but obviously our, our time is limited and probably our attention span is limited as well. So I'd like to uh, make uh, 10 comparisons, and hopefully as we do this, you can get the connection between our role as Christians with our, the people among whom we live here and what God expects of us as we are ambassadors for Christ. So 10 comparisons. Number one, ambassadors, I already mentioned, are appointed by their president, an ambassador is appointed by his president. Generally speaking, the president chooses a person who will serve as an ambassador and assigns him to a specific country. So 
right at the beginning of this sermon, I want it to be established that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of God, if you have committed your life to him, you are under assignment. You are chosen as his representative, and God has assigned a place for you. That's kind of the, the premise of our, of our message here this morning. You're appointed by God. You are an ambassador. So all the points, following points will apply to each of us. Now, that is an honor. It's also a responsibility. And I think it's very clear from our text passage here in a number of verses that God is giving us this uh, position of representing him. And if you have your Bibles open yet to 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 15, it says that Christ died for us, that they, referring to believers, you, which live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. We are representing him. Verse 17, uh, we could say that as an ambassador, you are given a new job description. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have a new job to do. And verses uh, 18 to 20 tells us that God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has also given us a ministry of reconciliation. Tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see, this applies to each one of us. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As so God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Do you find that overwhelming? Do you find it to be an overwhelming responsibility? And perhaps your question is, well, if I'm an ambassador, what's it, what is expected of me? What am I supposed to do? Well, hopefully, as we uh, look at these things together, it will help us to understand that. So number one, ambassadors are appointed by the president. Number two, ambassadors represent their president. And I just um, have a couple quotes here that I... Uh, took off of the responsibility of an ambassador, a political ambassador, represents our federal government and the American people, but ultimately, he is the personal representative of the President of the United States. I'm going to paraphrase that. An ambassador of Christ represents the Church of Christ, represents his followers, but ultimately, he is the personal representative of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, to the residents and powers of this earth. So you have been chosen by God for his service. You are an ambassador so that you can represent him on this earth, wherever you go. So an ambassador does not go to a country to pursue his own agenda to accomplish his own goals, to travel and to learn about the history and the culture and things like that. He goes there to represent the one who sent him and to promote his values. In the same way, God did not place us on this earth. He did not place us in this community or in this church 
merely for our own good. It may be for our good, but it's not only for our good. It's to represent him and to promote his interests. So as a representative of Jesus Christ, you are leaving an impression. Everywhere you go, you leave an impression. Now remember, you are representing Christ. Does the impression that you leave give an accurate impression of Christ, or does it give a false impression? The impression an ambassador leaves, or an impression that you leave, may be positive, or it may be negative. It may be true, or it may be false, but you will leave an impression. To think specifically about some of your circles of involvement in your business or your place of employment, you are there to represent Christ, and you will leave an impression. What kind of impression is it? When you go to school, you're there to represent Christ. What kind of an impression are you leaving? In your recreation, you are representing Christ. You will leave an impression. Is it an accurate one? Are you portraying his values? In your social life, you represent Christ. Is it an accurate representation? In your neighborhood, you're representing Christ. What perception do your neighbors have of Christ from what they see in you? We are his representative, and we leave an impression. Some months back, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, for Father's Day a year or two ago, one of my children gave me a, a license plate with a Bible reference on it, and that Bible reference is Isaiah 41.10. It just has a reference on it. And so I put that license plate on the front of my pickup, and some months back, I was, uh, went to Lowe's to pick something up, and as I was leaving, it was a warm day, I had my window open, and as I got out to the uh, light there to go out onto the street, there was a, a beggar standing there waiting for handouts. And I pulled up beside him, and he was standing there smoking a cigarette, and sometimes my mouth says the first thing that comes to my mind before I verify if it's something good or not. And just the, the first words that came to my mind were, I don't support the smoking habit. But just as I said those words, I realized he was asking me a question. And the question he was asking me was, what does Isaiah 41.10 say? And that was the response that I gave to him. And the look on his face was a heartbroken look. And he just looked at me and said, that's not what Isaiah 41.10 says. And the light turned green and I had to go. And I left feeling like I was a pretty dismal failure as a representation, as a representative of Christ. One short exchange, what kind of impression did he leave, or did I leave? In that case, I felt like a very poor representative. If my contemporaries do not have a better impression of my home country and of my king, I am not doing my job. I am failing. Representing my agent is my number one priority on earth. It's why I'm here. And it's what I am doing all the time, regardless of anything else that I'm doing. Let's move on. Number three, ambassadors are held 
to a high level of contact, conduct, to a higher level than other people around them. And just as another illustration for that, uh, when we lived in Romania, drunks, drunk people were a very common sight. Uh, you might see them lying along the road. You might see them lying on the street. On one occasion, I saw a drunk trying to drive a horse and wagon down the road, and he was pulling those reins without any rhyme or reason. That horse was so confused it had to wagon crossways across the road. Traffic was stopped in both directions. The poor horse had no idea what to do. Drunks were nothing unusual. Along with that, highway accidents seemed to be quite common as well. Uh, there were pretty frequent, seemed to be everyday occurrences. Sometimes there were bad accidents. Sometimes people were killed, head-on collisions at high speeds. So accidents were nothing unusual. But one day, there was a seemingly minor incident, and it made the national news. There was an accident. A driver who was involved in a rather minor accident, while he was under the influence of alcohol. Neither of those were so uncommon, so why did it make the national news? Well, the reason it made the news was because the driver of the vehicle was an American diplomat. And he was driving under the influence of alcohol, and he was involved in an accident, and that got people's attention. You see, even though it wasn't a major accident, he was held to a higher level of conduct because of his position. People just expected more of him. You might say, well, that's not fair that people expect more of us than they do of other people. But regardless of it's, if it's fair or not, it's the truth. We are held to a higher level of conduct, a higher level of expectation. People expect more out of us. And the fact is, our king expects more out of us as well. He expects us to follow a higher level of conduct. When Jesus introduced his kingdom on earth, he said, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, Do not be angry. You have heard that it hath been said, Do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Don't even think lustful thoughts. You have heard that it hath been said, Do not swear falsely. But I say unto you, Swear not at all. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, it's better to let you hit them again than for you to hit back. You see, our king holds us to a high level of conduct. We follow a higher, a different set of rules. And I say, don't resist that. Embrace that. Embrace your high calling. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. So Paul held himself to a higher level of conduct, and as ambassadors of Christ, we need to do likewise. Let's look at a fourth comparison. An ambassador's authority is not based on himself, or we could say it is based on who he represents, 
not on himself. Now, if you're beginning to notice here a little bit of a, of a train here that the focus is all about someone else, well, you're right on. Number one, they're appointed by the president. They represent the president. Number four, the authority is based on the president or whoever their sending agent is. You see, an ambassador is not all about him. It's all about someone else. And that's how it is for us as, as believers. It's not about us, but about the person we represent. And any authority that an ambassador has is based on the fact that he was sent by the president of a country. It's not based on who he is. Suppose that I would decide that right now, the relationships between Russia and the United States are a little bit hairy, and they need some help. So I'm going to go to Russia, and I'm going to be an ambassador of goodwill. So I, arrive, I move there, I arrive in Moscow, and I say, here I am, I'm going to be an ambassador. Well, what would they have to say? Probably not, nothing very pleasant. They might tell me to go take a long walk off a short dock or something a whole lot worse because I have no authority backing me, no backing, no power. You see, authority comes from the one who sends, not from the one who is sent. Second Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, do we begin to commend ourselves? He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us ministers, who hath made us servants. If we decide we're going to set the terms for our ministry, or that we're going to move ahead in our own strength, we are doomed for failure. And there's many verses and illustrations about this as well. I think of um, the account in Exodus when Moses was leading the children of Israel. And God gave Moses the promise. He says, my presence will go with you. And Moses responded with that very, very um, appropriate response. He says, if thy presence does not go with us, don't even send us. Don't carry us out. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Moses recognized that the one thing that set them apart was the fact that God was with them. And that is what gives us the power and authority as an ambassador, to the fact that God is with us. 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul again in his testimony says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And then in our text passage here in 2 Corinthians 5, we have the ministry of reconciliation as his ambassadors because Christ put us here for that purpose. Number five, an ambassador communicates with his president. A... Uh, an embassy maintains a high level of communication with their home country. I'd like you to just imagine a little bit. Imagine a president sending an ambassador to a foreign country with a specific assignment. So this ambassador is sent off to this country, 
And when the ambassador arrives in the country, he immerses himself in the work to which he's assigned. And at first, he communicates regularly, daily, several times a day with the home office. But just picture this ambassador. As time goes on, and he becomes more and more involved in his work, he gets busy. The demands continue to increase, and he gets so busy with his work that his communication with the home office becomes less and less frequent. And finally, there are extended periods of time that he does not connect at all with his authority, with his president, because he is too busy doing his work. What's going to happen in that case? What will happen if an ambassador does not maintain contact with his authority, with his president or king, or whatever it is. Three things that I'd like you to note, and we're going to be referring to these three things. The first thing that's going to happen is his master, his president or king, whatever the case may be, is going to be very disappointed in him. Not only in the lack of communication, but in the ambassador himself. Because he knows that a person that does not keep contact with him is not going to be able to represent him very well. How is he going to represent me if he doesn't even keep contact with me? So number one, his master will be very disappointed. Number two, the ambassador will be distracted from his master's vision. Eventually, he's going to lose touch. He's going to remain very busy, very active. But as time goes on, he is going to find that he's focusing more and more of his energies on activities that are not important to his master while neglecting the things that his master wants him to do. He's out of touch with his master. So his energies are gradually going to be focused on things that are not important to his master. And what's the third thing that's going to happen? Although the ambassador remains very busy, since he is losing touch of his master's vision, he also loses motivation for the work. He loses motivation for pleasing his master. He knows he has to do it, but it becomes a drag, and he will tend to burn out in his work because he lost that communication. I think this leads us to ask ourselves some questions. Is your master pleased or disappointed with the level of communication that you maintain with him? Does he say or think, I was hoping he would keep in touch with me better than what he is? What is your level or your master's level of appreciation for the communication you have with him? Second question, are you becoming distracted from your master's vision for you as his ambassador? Are you focusing more and more energy on things that are not important to him while neglecting the things that are important to him? And thirdly, third question, do you sometimes feel burned out in the assignment the master gave to you? Do you just lose ambition, lose energy? And if the answer to any of these questions is yes, perhaps you need to increase your level of communication with the home office. 
Your king is waiting. He's there. You need to read his written message more frequently. You need to come to him. Call the home office on a more regular basis. Share your challenges with him. Invite his input. And share together about how he would have you respond to the challenges of life. We could look at Jesus himself as an ambassador. When he came to the earth, he was sent by his father to represent his father here on the earth. He maintained contact with the father. We're aware of that. He prayed. He spent time alone with his father on a regular basis. He spent countless hours in communication. It was a priority for him. It was one of the most important things he did. And because that was a priority, Jesus was successful in each of these three areas. Was God disappointed in Jesus? No. His response, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think in today's language, we could say, that's my boy. Or maybe he would have had a bumper sticker on his car. I'm a parent of an honor roll student. We've seen those. Parents bragging about their children. That's what God did for Jesus. This is my son. I'm pleased in him. He was not disappointing to his father. Why? Because he spent time communicating with his father. Number two, did Jesus lose touch of his master's vision? And again, the answer is no. His own testimony was, I do always those things which please the father. What a testimony. Can we say that? We do always those things which please the Father. Paul gave a similar, vision, or a similar testimony in his life. He said, wherefore, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. That means that Paul had contact with his Father, and he carried out the work. Are we living close enough to the Father to maintain his vision and to carry it out? Third question we could ask, did Jesus burn out when he was here on earth? And again, the answer is definitely no. He said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. He didn't burn out before the time was up. He went strong right to the end. Will that be your testimony? Will that be my testimony? Probably not. If I don't spend time with God, an ambassador needs to communicate with his authority on a regular basis. Let's move on to number six. Ambassadors are responsible for the safety of their personnel. An ambassador is the person who is ultimately in charge of an embassy. An embassy is a building with a lot of staff in a foreign country, and the ambassador is ultimately responsible for what goes, in, what goes on there, including the security of his staff and his people. They are responsible to protect their staff from the world around them. Now, some of you know that I work at a metal fabrication shop, and we do lots of custom work for many different people, and one of our customers is an um, architectural design company, and they design security doors, or they, they build security doors. And they actually provide doors for embassies, for U.S. embassies in many different countries. And this company puts their doors through severe testing. They need to be strong enough 
to stop multiple rifle bullets. They need to be strong enough to resist the blast of explosives. That's the second test. And the third test, they need to be strong enough to stop a mob attack. And this company tests their doors by having multiple men with sledgehammers just pounding on those doors for extended periods of time to make sure that they're strong enough. And the point is, they need to protect their people. Several of our children were born overseas. And for each of those cases, after they were born, we needed to visit the American embassy to obtain paperwork to prove their American citizenship. And always, we needed to pass through multiple security checkpoints to get into those embassies. One of our children was born just a few weeks after the 9-11 attacks, when security was at its highest. In that particular case, even getting to the embassy, not just getting in it, but even getting to it, you needed to go through multiple checkpoints. The entire street in front of the building was blocked off with concrete barricades. And I was thinking, so not only did visitors need to go through that security, but the staff themselves needed to pass through that security on a daily basis to get in there. Do you think that was a nuisance for them? Do you think they got tired of that? Can't you just hear some of those staff complaining? Why all these rules and bothersome procedures? No one ever attacked us. That's all in other countries. We're safe here. They're not necessary. Why can't we just have a more normal work environment? Does that sound familiar? Why all the rules? Why are they necessary? Why can't we just be like other people, be normal? Well, the point is, as ambassadors, we are responsible not only for our own safety, but for the safety of those around us. And there are certain people that God has placed in our care. This morning we had six young people up here that God has entrusted into the care of their parents. And those parents are concerned about their safety, so they put certain safeguards in place. You don't let children in a situation where they're likely to injure themselves if you can help it. We are responsible for the safety of those around us. And that applies not only to physical safety, it applies also to spiritual safety. It applies to church leaders. Hebrews 13, 7, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. There is a responsibility for protection. It's a reminder to us as church leaders that we will need to give account. It applies to parents and fathers, which I already mentioned. The Bible tells us as fathers to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to train them up in the way they should go. Even in the Old Testament, there were rules that when you built a house, which typically had a flat roof, there were rules that you needed to put a wall around the side of that house so that you were not responsible for anyone falling off the roof of that house. Are we aware of our responsibility to look out for the safety of others? Because if we fail, 
We are responsible. And it applies to all of us in a Christian community. Uh, many verses in the New Testament about our responsibility to brotherhood. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 14. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. You see, each one of us has a responsibility for the safety of the brotherhood around us. So when you're tempted to ask, why all the restrictions? Why all the rules? Why all the bother? Why are they necessary? We need to remember they are there for a reason, for our spiritual protection. Can you imagine an ambassador who grows lax and careless and lets down his guards and just drops the security and then there is an attack that kills some of his staff? And can you imagine him needing to answer for that? So why didn't you have safeguards in place? That would be a terrible situation. But even worse is answering for the spiritual death of those that God has placed in our care. As ambassadors, we are responsible. Need to move on. Number seven, an ambassador has the responsibility to document citizenship. I already mentioned that several of our children were born overseas. We needed to go to the embassy and follow through a number of steps to document who they were. And they were eventually granted their uh, American birth certificate and citizenship. And this did not happen automatically. The instant our children were born, they were not recognized as citizens of the United States. They needed to go through multiple steps, or we as parents needed to go through multiple steps in order to finalize that thing. And in the same way, when you were born, you were not a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care what community you grew up in, where you were born. You were not a citizen. Some things had to take place, and the embassy helped us through that. And we as a church help others through that as well. A couple of verses I'd like to read from Ephesians that, that highlights this. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about what we were and what we are. We were not citizens, but we are citizens. Ephesians 2 verse 12, that at that time, at the time you were born, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. In verse 19, now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now obviously this passage was written to the Gentile people who were born outside the, the Hebrew nation. But it applies to all of us who were born outside the kingdom of God. And we as a church, just as that embassy helped us walk through that, we as a church are responsible to bring people 
into that citizenship, that heavenly citizenship. Help them walk through the steps of recognizing their lost condition, of repenting, of confessing, and ultimately welcoming them, welcoming them into the kingdom of Jesus. We need to be eager to do that. Number eight, ambassadors need to avoid conflict of interest. I found it interesting that um, an ambassador is not allowed to own or to start a business in the country in which he is serving because of the conflict of interest. That's going to draw him away from what he is sent there to do. They are full-time servants of the Foreign Service. As a diplomat, you're supposed to be at the service of your nation around the clock. Now, I don't want to ruffle feathers here by saying no one may have a business. That's not my point. My point is you need to avoid a conflict of interest. Where's your priority? Are we doing something that is going to pull us away from our service? And uh, as it pertains to businesses, I, I would just say this. If you have a business... Just make sure of one thing. Make sure that your business belongs to God. Because if your business belongs to God, then you're doing his work. And you are representing him. If it's for personal and selfish reasons, it's definitely going to be a conflict of interest. So let's keep all of our lives focused on God. Number nine, ambassadors may be called to a life of hardship. Now, anyone who wishes to be an ambassador, dreams of being sent to somewhere like Paris so they can live the high life, enjoy the glamour. But I find it interesting that, as a general rule, an ambassador's first assignment will be in a very difficult country. Maybe eventually he'll get assigned to a more glamorous position. But his first assignment is in a country that may be poverty-stricken. It may even be hostile, hostile territory where the United States is considered an enemy. These hardships can bring physical danger, tense politics, and a low quality of life. It's a hardship for the ambassador, as well as for his family. It's hard on the spouses and the children who often move with them. They may not be able to adjust or fit in very well to that setting. The point is, the ambassador doesn't choose. God chooses. It may be a life of hardship. God may call you to a life of hardship. Paul told his son Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, endure hardship. And even Jesus, when he was here as an ambassador, said he didn't even have a place to lay his head. So let us not run from hardship. And there's one last point I'd like to make, is that an ambassador is frequently transferred from one country to another. And there's a reason for that. One of the reasons is the sending agency, the, the president, does not want an ambassador to get too attached to his contacts and the people in that country to the point where he may become more loyal to them than he is to the home country. 
So he sends him there to do his job, but before he gets too at home there, he might just be sent somewhere else. We in our heritage value stability. If we hear of somebody who lived in five different houses in five years, we might say, well, what's wrong with them? Why can't they settle down? If we hear someone who had five different jobs in that amount of time, five or ten years, you know, it may cause us to ask us some questions. We value stability, and there's value in stability, but there's also value in flexibility, and God is looking for flexibility. And sometimes he may uproot us, even when we don't want to be uprooted, just when we're beginning to feel at home where we are. You know, God has a way of sending us out of our comfort zone. And there's, there's some people who have this perspective that, well, you know what? If I'm a follower of God, my options are wide open. I can serve God here. I can serve God here. I can do this. It's up to me. I can serve God wherever I want. I, I feel quite strongly that God chooses where he wants you to serve. And he may have a specific place where he wants you I've, I've experienced that a number of times in my life. I, I referred to spending a number of years in Romania. And to be honest, it wasn't my choice to go to Romania. I resisted it for months before I agreed. I was sent, and it got to the point where I just couldn't resist it. And I believe God has specific places for specific people. So let's not get too attached to one place. Our attachment, our loyalty needs to be to God. I'm going to close with a quote that I heard by a man by the name of Reuben Luthi. He said, as an ambassador of Christ, I am God's man, in God's place, doing God's work, in God's way, for God's glory. And that's why we're here on earth. We are ambassadors. This passage does not say you're called to be an ambassador. It says you are an ambassador and you are representing Christ. And as an ambassador, I am God's man or God's woman in God's place, doing God's work in God's way for God's glory. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In chapter 6, verse 1, we then, as workers, together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain, but that you can be a good ambassador for him. I invite you to kneel for prayer. Father, this morning we we do feel unworthy to represent you. Uh, We recognize that so often we fail and we have failed to portray you in a, a way that accurately represents who you are. I just pray that you would give us a new vision to be a good representative as people watch us, that they could see your values in our lives that we could be eager to bring people into citizenship in your kingdom, that we would be flexible 
to go where you send us to be what you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you could use each of us here in the building of your kingdom so that others may come into a relationship with you and recognize you as the king of all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.